Fisher and I'm Tim Boswell. Wow, good job, Kyle. Hey, thanks. That was very, very difficult. Should we tell the audience that it took like eight takes to get the opening <sighs> That's correct? Fine, yeah. Was it that it? I thought it was more. Felt like more. Yeah. Tim's back with us. Great to have you back in studio today, yes. Tim. Thanks Great for hauling over here. Mm-hmm. This is like your fourth or fifth time. You're, I you're think becoming it is. a. I'm, I'm official. Yes, you are. You are officially <laughs> the guest. Official. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'm the official guest. You're the official guest. <laughs> this is episode 71, and we are greenhousing episode 70, which was called, which is called um, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So this hmm. is our last hmm. episode dealing with the end times, and we're exploring something I think really uh, has been lacking in modern Christianity, meaning I'm not sure how often we tie our end times views to our understanding of the kingdom and to our purpose in it. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this very brief mini-series on the end times up front in the season on the Forgotten Kingdom was I just felt like we needed to at least get it out there and start having these conversations in our houses and in our greenhouses and in our churches and our small groups because when we begin to really understand the differences between the joiner and the splitter uh, viewpoint, how that gets translated into the day to day can actually be, you know, pretty substantially different. So mm-hmm. it's been fun. I'm glad this is the last one because yeah. I'm ready to move on. <laughs> I know there's podcasts that do nothing but talk about end times. That sounds like purgatory to me. But uh, we're excited to kind of get through this and then move into how do we live in the kingdom. However, it's an important episode. So let's let's dig in. First of all, I'd love just to start by getting each of your perspectives on the last five episodes. So as you listen to them as you walk through them and you guys were part of two, three of them now. General impressions, questions, things that made you go, hmm, like how did, how did you come away from this little mini series? Yeah, it was just the thing that was interesting for me was reevaluating where I stand on a lot of stuff. But what I was struck with was the more that I listened to the episodes and then the more I started, you know, just kind of diving into my own thought process was why do I think the way I I think Mm. what has caused me to think this way why am I maybe swinging one way or swinging another way and what you know just it was really interesting to jump into what caused those things and what caused me to think the way that I think doc what about you I was kind of the same way that I had not really dived into what I thought about the end times and why I think for two reasons first that I did not see it as integral to the rest of my Christian Mm -hmm. walk. Mm -hmm. To me, um, I kind of thought of it as just this out there eventuality that was coming, whether I understood it or not, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that I could not really likely wrap my head around, even if I tried, then I would leave that to the much more intelligent people who were studying it. And I did not really see a firm connection to my daily life or my discipleship. And then the second reason is that I did not even realize that other views existed. I didn't Mm. realize it was something 
that there were alternative interpretations and that it was an opportunity to dive into and really wrestle with and figure out what I thought and why. It just kind of was what it was, and so I left it alone for most of my life, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's part of the hope of the whole Soil and Roots organization and the podcast is to encourage us to reintegrate. Mm-hmm. And I know that's sort of a weird word for Christianity, but I think we have, because of lots of different factors that we've explored, sort of developed these pieces and pockets of things that we don't assume influence us. Mm-hmm. But I've become increasingly convicted over the last, I don't know, three or four years that we, when I say we are integrated beings in an integrated world, I really mean it. Mm-hmm. Like there's very few things, if any, that we can hold to that don't impact us holistically. Mm-hmm. And there's very few things that we experience that don't impact us holistically. But we're so trained to separate things and to assume those separations that that's part of what I'm trying to accomplish here is, hey, look, let's bring our end times views back into the mainstream uh thinking Mm -hmm. of how we perceive the kingdom and therefore how we perceive our purpose because they're actually probably more connected than what we might have thought before. Absolutely. Uh, And that's been a learning point for me as I've, as I've gone through and studied this and tried to try to present it. Let's go back and just, just for the sake of the episode, let's review what the terms are and what they mean. Mm -hmm. So the splitter uh, believes that the Bible tells the story of two people in two plans, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel and the church. Those get split in the new Testament And because of some of the dynamics we've talked about, that results in what we call church age pessimism, which is this age, the age in which we currently live, is falling apart and is heading towards a tribulation. The joiner is the opposite. The joiner believes the the Bible tells the story of one people and one plan that the church is grafted into the people of Israel. And the Bible carries that story forward, but it does not result in church age pessimism, sometimes, not always. Sometimes it results in a church age optimism that the world is winding up. So we just want to make sure we're clear on those. And again, gross generalizations, there are modifications of each. There are folks that hold pieces and parts, and but that's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to, to kind of categorize these as simply as possible so that we deal with the underlying ideas. So part of my interest here is, is it exploring the hidden ideas underneath each of these views and we've we've joked over the last three seasons like from a visual standpoint it's like a stereogram right Mm -hmm. it's those 3d images uh that you that were really popular in the 90s and we've (laughs) off air i think it was last month the three of Uh us were toying around with that yep and i've trained myself to be able to see them since i was like a kid because i had posters in my room Mm -hmm. kyle you see like part of the image but not the whole image yeah i i don't know what it was i never i always had trouble with them because everybody was like you got to relax your eyes and i tried to do that forever and it never worked and i was like no i have to cross my eyes but i have to cross it in just the right way yeah where the image is crossed then i can see something but yeah i i could see part of it but but i couldn't see the whole thing you're like never heard of anybody that doesn't well yeah yeah, you're like oh look at all these details i don't see any of that i just see the dancer and you're like you don't see the thing and over this and oh there's she's got this on and no i just see the vague a outline. Vague outline. Right. And, and then Tim, poor Tim. I hardly see them at all. <laughs> Can't see it at yeah. all. Have you I ever would, been able get, to see one? I could see, like, I could tell something was coming out. Like, it might be, I could tell you it was circular or it was 
vaguely okay. square shaped. I could tell mm. there was something there, but that was as far as it would go. I would get so frustrated because uh, <laughs> others could see them. Why can't I? You were frustrated when we were trying to hear. <laughs> I was like, guys, can we please move on yes. from the stereogram? <laughs> well, I do think it's a really interesting metaphor, though, mm-hmm. for what we're talking about. Yeah. Because as we've explored how to identify these ideas that drive us and govern us, it is a lot like training our hearts, our brains, to identify things which otherwise are hidden Mm -hmm. in the gibberish of life. Have you thought through, wow, my end times perspective did come loaded with some hidden ideas, and they all do, and I'm now able to see a few of those better than I did before? Mm -hmm. Have you you had that experience? Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Can you give... One example. The thing that the thing that really came across to me when we were ta- comparing it to the stereogram was, from a splitter point of view, it's a very negative, pessimistic, I think detached um, outlook. And from the joiner point of view, it's much more. I love what you just said about history hasn't been written, like our future hasn't been written. History hasn't been written. Future hasn't been written. So it's wide open, and we can walk through that with Jesus in this amazing adventure that we don't know the conclusion to. I mean, we know the ultimate conclusion, but it's not something that we're just trudging forward in knowing that it's going to be horrible and bad and we've got to be rescued from it or whatever. Because I, I never resonated with that. I never resonated with the, okay, well, the end is coming. Everything's terrible. So basically what you're doing right now is doesn't really mean a whole lot because it's all going to burn up anyway. So... Just but you but you can understand on Splitter's perspective. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna say, "Hey, the joiner, it just feels better. Like mm-hmm. it's emotionally more appealing, and so sure. we're, we're adopting a perspective that just is more sunny mm-hmm. because it feels good." And there was a time when I would have been like, "Oh man, okay, yeah, no, you're right. I, I need to have more of a a hard line stance on this, and I you're, you're, I'm being too whatever." Now it's like I don't care. I'm I'm going to be optimistic about it because that's where my heart is. That's what I feel the spirit is doing in me, and I'm embracing that because for so long, I shied away from that because I didn't think I had the right to do that to be like that. Um, so now it's like you know what? Yeah, okay, I get it. Sure, it is kind of a rosy. I and you could make the argument that it's well, you're just telling yourself that to feel better so you can sleep at night. Yeah, I get it. But do you I think it's biblical? I mean, do you agree with that? Oh, it absolutely. Yeah. I, I see I see biblical examples through that all throughout Scripture. And the fact that the uh, Old Testament is amplified in the New Testament and that it is not, they're not two completely separate things. They're two, that's, they're telling the same story. I just, that, all of that stuff resonates with me. And I, I love that whole discovery of it. What you said about the future not being written and exploring that, and I'm adding with Jesus, I think is great that's what i love about it yeah what i'm saying is the joiner views history as not uh prophetically having to end in disaster right that's what i mean mm-hmm. and an all is going to say it moves in cycles and evil and good grow at the same not the same but they grow at the same time and it's just sort of this ongoing conflict where a post mill will say the world's winding up mm-hmm. so doc what about you um we're back to the stereogram any understanding you can't see them uh are there any hidden, and you're much better with ideas, but are there any hidden ideas that have sort of come to light in either the splitter or the joiner review as we've explored this for the last six episodes? Well, to kind of extend the stereogram metaphor further, and I like how each of you just kind of chuckle each time you mention that I can't see them. <laughs> the PhD is the one that can't figure it out, Kyle. But so, 
let's say that the stereogram is an image of the end times. When I looked at the book of Revelation and other discussions of the end times, it was so confusing and out there to me that I struggled to understand it and quickly felt that I could not. Similarly to if I looked at one of the stereogram images, I might mm. strain my eyes or relax mm. my eyes and the image couldn't come out. And pretty soon, it's pretty soon, but it's like, I'm, not, I'm never going to get this. Yeah. I'm not even going to try. What's the point? And there's somebody standing right next to me that says, well, yeah, it's a sailboat. So why should I strain and struggle and keep trying? It's a picture of a sailboat. Um, I'm just going to accept that it is and move on with my life mm. because I don't really think that knowing whether it's a bear or a clown or a sailboat or anything else is going to have that much impact. And it wasn't until very, very later that, very, very much later that I discovered actually different people say that the image shows different things. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I had the benefit of growing up with wonderful godly parents. They were and are um, great, strong Christians that made the things of God a central part of my home and my childhood. I grew up learning to pray and reading the Bible and just having those discussions about the faith. And then I married a wonderful, godly woman. She's an amazing, amazing person, and we've had so many discussions about the faith. It's been the cornerstone of our marriage. And I'm a reader. I've read a lot of Christian books and apologetics and different things. I've spent my life in church. And yet, even with all of those you know, advantages, you would think that if anybody would have been already exposed to these other views, that I would have. So it's kind of astonishing to me that here I was in my late 30s, early 40s, before I even knew that, for instance, the Joiner perspective existed. Mm. So mm. one of the big ideas that has come through for me from this is just this realization that we may assume there is one perspective on something that we have heard so many times throughout our lives. And that perspective may be 100% right, it may not, but it does not necessarily mean it's the only way to look at something. And it can be incredibly helpful then to find out hey, there are other ways to see the stereogram. And especially if you're struggling to see it, talk to some of those people that are seeing it different ways, hear about what they see, and then go forward from there. So the hidden idea was the fact that there were more than one idea. <laughs> it's a little circular, but yes. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the joiner position. So last episode in 70, uh, I took a portion of that. So the joiner position is typically millennialism and post-millennialism, they both tend to follow that same path. But we took the post-mill one, which is the minority view, you know, at least in America, very few people hold to it anymore, although it was more popular in, in centuries past. And, you know, I asked some questions about defending it from culture and history. Now, understanding that uh, a post-mill joiner is going to argue that that's the biblical truth and that it doesn't need any other explanation. So we're not bending towards relativism, but we are saying that perhaps the post-mill joiner position, the world is winding up, the church age is winding up, has fallen out of favor so much because it's lost the marketing war, right? Uh, because current events would suggest, at least in the West, that that's not that's not true. So, were you guys familiar with the post-mill position? Had you heard about it throughout your lives, or was this fairly new? 
for me, it was brand new. I mean, I, I was not aware of a mindset where it was, the world is winding up. It was always, uh, I was always from the impression of what I was told and what people around me were saying was that the world is winding down. I mean, look around. Yeah. And that's it. The joiner, uh, mindset is is it's a hard sell i mean when you look around you're like how in the world could we see that the world is winding up but then at the same time i look at it from my perspective and my perspective is so narrow because i'm in the united states and i have this this view of what the world is i'm not a world traveler i, I i'm i haven't experienced cultures and and all of these things and so i hear that, you know, there's great things going on in other parts of the world. There's a lot of Christianity coming up and, I mean, and exploding in ways that have, ne- that have never happened before. I hear all of this, but I've never experienced it. And so it's easy to s- see from a splitter's point of view, like, how in the world could you possibly say that the world is winding up if you're only looking at it from that narrow perspective? Well, and I make the argument that uh, where cultures typically improve, they'll then regress. Mm-hmm. So I call it a regression cycle. Mm-hmm. So now off air, Doc, you and I were talking about this and you said, hey, look, I think it's a stretch to make a universal claim that culture uniformly regresses. So I went through various examples out of church history where things have gotten better. And I said, hey, look, in all these cases, we're seeing things regress. You off air said, that's a bit of a stretch. So why don't you, I'll give you a opportunity to make your point. (laughs) Appreciate it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like Kyle, I had always heard that the world was winding down and that with that same kind of look around you, see Mm -hmm. how things are going. But that never really sat well with me because I do see so many good things, so many Mm -hmm. positive changes that have happened Mm -hmm. in recent years and in recent decades and centuries. I think it's very easy to miss the larger context whenever something is not going the way that we would hope and to forget about all of the wonderful things that we kind of take for granted Mm -hmm. that have become kind of the the air that we breathe, the, the cultural ethos that we are born into, whether it's freedom of speech, freedom of religion, many other freedoms that it can be very easy to take for granted and to forget that there were times when these were not the case in the world. Um, Look, I I totally get it. You can turn on the news or talk to just about anyone and get plenty of examples for ways that the world is not heading in the direction that we would like. But at the same time, I think it's too easy to look at the past through rose-colored glasses and to forget that it really was not necessarily as terrific as we think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, take take the 1950s. That's the classic golden age of America, the Leave it to Beaver era that mm-hmm. you look at and think, well, everything was going swimmingly. But there were a lot of things about it that were dark and ugly and hard and painful. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just take medicine and health. Every summer, families would live in terror of the latest polio epidemic coming through. Mm -hmm. They'd shut down the community swimming pools. Whole neighborhoods would practically close down as families kept their kids home, trying to keep them out of an iron lung at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Do we think that when Jonas Salk's polio vaccine finally came out that people felt like, oh man, this is a a real step back? No, not at all. It was tremendous progress. Um, Look at education. You know, my children um, do different things for their schooling, um, and I'm so thankful for the different teachers that they have had. In those days, you know, if a kid had learning differences or behavioral differences in school, they're more likely to 
um, not get the help that they needed. You know, if there was corporal punishment, they could be th- had a ruler thrown out them or <laughs> Paddled hit with or, yeah, yep. hit with whatever was close at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, a wife, if she was having trouble with her husband, if she was abused, beaten, raped. Uh, if she went to the police, nine times out of ten, they would say, this is domestic. It's between you and your husband. Mm-hmm. She couldn't open a bank account um, without her husband signing for it. You know, I've got back and watched some of the old I Love Lucy episodes. And I love I Love Lucy. Oh. It's comic genius. It's, oh, my it's God. I think I know what you're going to say. Yep. But if you watch the way that Ricky oh. treats her, oh, like if she does something wrong, bending her over his lap and spanking oh, her. Right? You know, yeah. taking away her privileges. You guys, you or, guys don't do that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's horrible. And, but in that time and space, it was just considered the way that you treated people. It's, so yeah. are we going to look yep. at that and say, well, yeah, we should go back to that. Mm-hmm. I I get it. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. And I think there's an argument to be made that culture is not uniformly declining. There are areas where there's improvement. But, you know, you look at crime statistics. You look at the erosion of some basic fundamental ideas about the family. Uh, you know, it's it, it seems like the important things, the central things, the foundational things that hold society together do corrode over time. And I, so I resonate with the splitter's concern about the the regression of the fundamental element. Let, let's talk about the fundamental elements of culture. Now, you know, if we're going to go back to like a thousand AD, it, it, you could argue that there's a, a lot better than that time period, right? Or or let's go to the time of Christ, Roman Empire. I mean, there's things that are we would be if we were to go back into a time machine we would be shocked and stunned and completely out of sorts mm-hmm. by the pervasive ideas especially of the roman empire right so i'll grant you that but like if we looked at a 100 year period i maybe i'm pessimistic maybe i watch too much news but it seems as if there's some very substantial negative trends in morality and in the basic building blocks of a society that are regressing and do not seem to be letting up. Okay. I have a question about that. So let's look at it from, let's take the splitter point of view and assume that the world is winding down that. And so this is a two part question. So the first part, does the splitter think that it, cause I I keep hearing that it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. Does does the splitters now? Are there some splitters that think, well, it's going to get really bad after the rapture, or is it? Are there some splitters that think, no, it's going to get really bad before the rapture? And then I think you said there are some splitters that don't buy into a rapture, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's just look at it from those from those that don't buy into the rapture. So but in, all three of them, in general, believe that society has to get progressively worse, right, prior to the rapture, but then things are like hellish after that, right. For at right. least three and a half years. Okay, yeah. so let's let's just take it from there so up to the rapture point. It's yeah. still going to get really bad. Mm-hmm. So is that saying that it's going to get much, 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 much worse than it is now, or is it? Are we look or do splitters kind of look and go, "It's horrible now, and Jesus is coming anytime." Uh, I think it depends on their individual perspective. If you are really into you know modern day prophecy, if mm-hmm. you if you listen to the guys on TV or on the internet that are looking at current events and saying right, this is right. it relates to this passage in Revelation, mm-hmm. then yeah, you probably think that we're nearing the end. Okay. But there are splitters who don't get into the modern day prophetic uh, rhetoric. And right. so they're like, well, it's going to, but it could be 10,000 years. 
Right. Like, I don't know, and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but there is going to be some sort of progression. Okay. Well, obviously, they, they might look more at a cyclical approach than mm-hmm. just assuming that we're in the last days of the last days. So to return to your question about whether we are seeing these erosions of basic fundamental Christian values in the sense of kingdom ideas of light, you talked about you know a, a thousand years ago, surely we could see that if we compare, say, to the Roman Empire— so one rebuttal to that would be to say, why would we not look a thousand years to go if we want to see the vast span of time and whether over time we do see progression? Um, I think that it's a mistake to look at small ups and downs in the graph when any time you look at a graph of, you know, whether it's inflation over time or the stock market or income, what you're looking for is not those little tiny divots up and down the the zigs and zags on the graph you're looking at changes overall over time over time over progression is it trending up or is it trending down sure so why wouldn't we look at a thousand years ago and compare that with now but also Mm -hmm. 500 years ago 100 years ago you mentioned 100 years ago so let's talk about 1923 Um, what was going on then well let's consider the fundamental kingdom idea that every person is made in the image of god Um, Every person has intrinsic value. Um, What was going on in 1923 with pretty much anyone in the United States who wasn't white? Mm. Think about the rise Mm. of the Ku Klux Klan and lynchings and uh, fires across the South. Um, There was a lot in that core idea of humanity that I would argue we've made considerable progress with in the 100 years since then. But it's so challenging to see any time period, clear-eyed, right? Our present or the past. And I think what I often see and what I balk at is this rose-tinted look at the past, this idea that things used to be so great in the good old days. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they necessarily were. Um, Benjamin Franklin famously said, the golden age never was the present age. I think he understood that people have a tendency to see the problems of their own time much more clearly and to feel nostalgic about the past. And that's, you know, that's a documented psychological phenomenon. Um, psychologists would call it a cognitive bias that people have a tendency to feel nostalgia for the past, whether or not that past warranted mm-hmm. such good feelings, whether mm-hmm. it's their childhood or their vacations or whatever it might be. They forget all the really hard things that they went to. And it might be a coping mechanism. It might be perfectly healthy. But we do, as human beings, have a tendency to look back at our earliest times with more fondness than perhaps um, is warranted in many Mm -hmm. cases for many people. Well, let's take a look at the splitter uh, perspective for a few minutes, and then we'll close on purpose. So we raised some really uh, hard, you know, these are some of my questions in terms of the splitter view, just like we raised some of the hard questions about the joiner view. But the splitter position in general presumes that this age, the church age, is no different from the what's called the um, pre-flood age, and that they're going to end similarly. One with the, the earth being destroyed and started over with a flood, and in this you know in this, this case with the tribulation. So you know, I, to be candid, I've I've never been able to really reconcile that because I can't figure out what Jesus did then if if he didn't come for a great reversal, if he didn't come as the new creation. And if really what it boils down to is him coming to save us from our sins, 
you know, I raised the question in the last episode, like, I don't understand the timing. Like, why come in the middle? Mm-hmm. If only just to prove that the earth is is impossibly bad and needs to be destroyed again, what impact did Christ have? So I, it's an honest question, I'm, and I'm not sure I've ever gotten a decent answer um, on it from a splitter perspective. And what, What's your guys' take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, it's something interesting that I don't think you mentioned it in this last one, but it goes along with what you're saying uh, about the flood was – so God promised not to ever flood the world again. So I always used to look at that as literal, like, okay, well he will never literally flood the earth again. But again, I I'm coming to understand and correct me if I'm wrong, that a a joiner would look at that and say, well, it's, he, he said, he's not going to flood the earth, but he's not going to destroy the earth again. And so a splitter, I guess would look at that and go, well, no, he's just saying that it's going to be with fire next time, not right. water. Yeah, right. So again, I, I think it's again it boils down to your perspective and what you think and what you look, how you interpret the Bible and how you interpret. But, but this is, don't you think this is? I don't want to minimize what your point, but to me, it's a it's a narrative deal. Like if we hold to a splitter perspective and that the world's going to go the same way it's gone before. Mm-hmm. And that, I think to me, that boils down Jesus' primary purpose the first time is the forgiveness of sins. And apparently that only has an individual impact that doesn't have a, a creational global. or global impact. Right. Um, I just, maybe the question can't be answered, but I don't know. Why wouldn't you just wrap it all up at one time? It, it almost seems a bit, I want to be careful here, but cruel, uh, unfair to set the world spinning with a church and to bring your Holy Spirit into play in the church age only to have it end up the same way it did before all that. Mm-hmm. Like it just seems, I think sometimes I, I fear that we confuse wrath and judgment with suffering. We all agree that suffering is a part of the human condition. That's different than the, the earth has to be, you know, blown up again and remade prior to a millennium. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I, I have tensions with the joiner position. This is one of my, key tensions with the splitter position. I don't understand what, I don't understand the timing if nothing changes. Well, for example, in John, okay. I mean, most commentators would look at the book of John Mm -hmm. and say that, especially in John one, he is clearly pointing Jesus back to the Genesis narrative. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the new creation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's woven throughout the entire, uh, entire gospel, the gospel. John is intentionally trying to, portray Jesus as a new creative element. It's, it's, it's the redemption of everything, mm-hmm. all of creation. So if I'm a splitter, what do I do with that? Are you, you would probably say, well, you're thinking you're, you're allegorizing. Is that a word? Well, I don't, you're, you're, uh, you're, the, you're the, taking too much liberty with I mean, the scripture. John start in the beginning was the word. And the word, the word was, was with God. I mean, the there's word was God. Right, clear but, parallels to Genesis. Wouldn't so, that, I don't know if that would be, if they would make that claim, but it seems as if that new creation in the splitter narrative doesn't start until the millennium. And again, to me, that, that, to me, it comes across as futile. The church age to me comes across as fairly mm-hmm. futile, except for rescuing souls. And again, souls got to heaven before Jesus. Why, why the timing? I don't mm-hmm. know. Doc, do you have a thought on that? That's a point of contention for me as well. I, I wrestle with no, it. No, no, I want you to answer the question. <laughs> yes, no, answer it, it concisely it comes, for us. It comes again, I think, to expectations and understanding of 
timing because you can either understand the work accomplished on the cross to have been consummated and fulfilled in some future date or to have been fulfilled then. So when Christ says it is finished, does he mean that at that moment with his death and resurrection, he has bound the strong man, he has defeated Satan, he has accomplished everything that he set out to do, and now everything will be different and transformed? Um, Or is this something that we can expect to occur, to be fulfilled at some future date when he returns? To me, that's the real question. Did it happen then, or is this a promise for the future? Yeah, maybe that's where I'm struggling. I mean, what exactly was finished? Because the splitter narrative certainly seems like there's an enormous amount of unfinished business. Mm-hmm. And to me, that runs the risk of minimizing his first trip. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what to do with that. I have a hard time putting those pieces together. Just like I have a hard time wrapping my head around the cultural progression of the joiner position, the post-mill position, I have a hard time putting my, my head around the timing of Jesus and what impact that actually had his first time around. And the joiner narrative is easy. Like the joiner, the joiner narrative in terms of the church age is just a little bit easier to adapt because it says, no, no, Jesus's first appearance was cosmically transformative. And that transformation is continuing to happen. And he comes back as the celebratory King, the conquering King. Okay. I mean, that's a nice story, right? It feels good. We talked about it earlier. That fits all the movie narratives. That's a very different narrative than Jesus came and planted a church that ultimately is is unable, is unwilling to bring the kingdom to earth. And so Jesus has to come and bring it himself or finalize it a second time. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I would think that a lot of people don't even think about it that in depth. Because you said the, the post mill is easy. I, I would argue that a lot of people say that's ridiculous. You're, well, I'm not saying no, I know what you're saying. It might but, be fanciful, but I right. mean, as a story, it's just right. But it, I'm, it places more consequence on Jesus's first coming. I think right, but I don't think a lot of people even think about it to that depth. Well, I, I'm not even sure the issue for me is the cross. The, the issue to me is the resurrection and the ascension. Like I think if you just had the cross, we our sins were and you need the resurrection to finalize that. I get it. But I mean, if the atonement, right, the forgiveness of sins, which Mm -hmm. is the, which is the cross, if that's where the narrative stopped, then yeah, you know, I, I, the the pessimistic perspective is a, is is more reasonable, I think in terms of logic, but then you have the ascension, Mm -hmm. the firstborn from the dead, the new creation rising, and then he ascends to be the king of the universe. To me, that's, it's a very different picture. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't spend enough time contemplating the resurrection and the ascension. Not that the cross isn't the most amazing event in history, but there are two other parts to that three-day period. Mm -hmm. Well, 43-day period that we need to, you know, maybe mull over a little bit more. Yeah. And I think the, the, the fact that he released his spirit, he really, he relinquished his spirit. I think that's, that's another huge aspect to it that I don't think a lot of people. Do you think it's because we just assume I don't know. I don't want to get too far off base, but we've so individualized and privatized the Christian life that even the Holy Spirit has become individualized. Mm-hmm. Like we don't expect the Holy Spirit to work through us or by himself to influence other pieces of 
culture, other families. We we sort of made it so private that oh, so it's become it ju- part of us. Oh, so you're just saying you're saying that a lot of people just think that the Holy Spirit just does things with you personally, not with anything in the world. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I wonder if that's the assumption. Hmm. Oh, I would probably think so. Well, that brings us to our the concept of purpose. So, what are we doing here? I think this gets very practical. I mean, I was sitting in a church last week, and the pastor of the church said, "It's good you're in here, rather than in the big bad world out there." Mm-hmm. So that's a splitter perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, a joiner would say. You're in here so that you can go transform out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the world is good. Mm-hmm. If we're to believe the Genesis narrative and First Timothy and other places where the, the foundational state of creation is good and the tension is between the two kingdoms, so go seek the kingdom of light and be a transforming agent on the world instead of just... They're, they, I don't know if we sit back and contemplate just how powerfully those two ideas differ and how they impact our day-to-day lives, where we give our money, what we get involved. You know, it's the whole school, the school district, city council argument, right? So let's say Planned Parenthood comes in, they introduce a new uh, curriculum for the sex ed classes in middle school, and it's, you know, our ideas of darkness. So what's our purpose? Mm-hmm. Is our purpose to pull our kids out of school and say it's a sign of the times and it's going to hell anyway? Uh, or are we going to say, I am a transforming agent on behalf of my king. I'm running for city council. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, They're profoundly important differences. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I, and what I'm begging us to do is just come to grips, whether we're a splitter or a joiner, be a splitter, be a joiner. But we need to really think through the underlying foundations of those positions because they have radically different views of what the kingdom is right now, and they present radically different views of what our purpose is in the kingdom right now. Mm-hmm. And I think we should be upfront about that and wrestle at that level of depth. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. It has profound implications for how we live our daily lives. And that was kind of the biggest light bulb moment for me to see these downstream effects and realize that how I perceive my purpose as a Christian has so much to do with my understanding of the kingdom and of the end times. Um, In many ways, it's whether or not I'm going to be actively involved. In some ways, looking at, you know, we talked about um, the Lord's Prayer before, your kingdom come, your will be done. One way to understand the kingdom, if we are holding to a splitter perspective and believing that the kingdom is not going to come until Christ comes a second time, in many ways that puts us in an attitude of waiting. It reminds me of the hundreds and thousands of years that Israel had the promise of the coming Messiah, but there wasn't really much they could do to make it come any faster. There wasn't anything they could do to bring the Messianic age upon themselves. So they were in an attitude of waiting. They stayed faithful while they were waiting. They stayed hopeful and joyful. But all they could do was bide their time until eventually he came. Well, if we understand that there's nothing we can do to bring the kingdom, but that we are essentially just waiting for the second coming, come on, Lord Jesus, I hope you come soon, 
then it really changes how we see our purpose in the world and what we're doing. But if we believe that when we pray, your kingdom come, what we are actually saying is, Lord, I am committing to being a part of bringing that kingdom. God, I am offering myself, here am I, send me, to bring heaven to earth. And I believe that you consummated that kingdom when you died and rose and ascended. Then suddenly I have a huge part to play and waiting is not part of it. It's, it's active agency in my life now. And that's a tremendous difference. Well, hopefully you've enjoyed our discussion and thanks to the guys for being here. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the Soil and Roots community. If you'd like more information on Soil and Roots, some of the other podcast episodes, the blog entries, you can go to soilandroots.org. And if you're interested in starting or forming or just learning more about these greenhouses we keep talking about, you can find information at the same site, soilandroots.org. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at fish at soilandroots.org. And we'll see you next time. Hi, welcome to the Soil and Roots. What? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you are the professional actor. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. I got to close my eyes. I can't even look.